You're listening to episode 33. This is Grace on Fire. Join your virtual pastor as he offers insight and inspiration into topics we all face. Be empowered. Gain confidence with God's grace so you can face life's most challenging problems. When you integrate faith in every aspect of your life, you can live an extraordinary one for a higher purpose. And now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan G. Smith. And hello and welcome to the show. My name is the Reverend Dr. Jonathan G. Smith, a.k.a. Smitty, and I am your virtual pastor. And my goal is to help you craft your life for a higher purpose. Well, in this episode, my friends, I'm going to share with you my recent ministry experience at the Pulse Orlando Orlando Memorial. Man, I really tried to get that right off, but it just didn't happen. So, anyways... We're on the fly on this podcast episode today. Yes, this week was a critical, critical week for the city of Orlando. And let me tell you what happened. On Monday, December 12th, was the six-month shooting of the pull of the at Pulse Orlando, which was a nightclub for LGBT plus persons. And, um, you know, I, I just can't tell you and stress enough how important this week is. And obviously, six months from now, it's going to even be more important as we approach the one-year anniversary of that event. You know that um, you may you may not know this, but this uh, the Pulse shooting was the second largest shooting uh, to take place in North America. I mean, 50 people lost their lives that night. And so it is important. And, and it's important because we need, as, as believers, as evangelical Christians, we need to come to grips with how we are reaching out to the LGBT plus community. And it's a passion of mine. It's been a growing passion. It's been a passion that has uh, really just continued to shape my mind as we really wrestle with the implications of just so many things that have happened in our culture. And so I think it should matter to you. It matters especially if you have an LGBT plus person in your family. And so we want to talk about our posture today a little bit more and why it should matter. Also on the show, I have uh, some street theology that going to relate to this. Also, I have a life hack for you. So let's get started. Hey, this is Smitty. Are you looking to dive deeper into the Word of God and learn how to apply God's Word to every area of your life? If so, then this podcast is for you. I am so excited about this because I am producing a new podcast titled Faith in the City. And the mission of that is to help you live out a gospel-centered life through the liberating power of faith in Jesus Christ. You know, what this show is going to feature is, is going to feature the weekly sermons and messages from Redeemer Anglican Church of Orlando. And I'm super excited about this because my passion as a pastor is to deliver God's word to you each and every week to unpack the marvelous mysteries that are God's word. And so listen, if you are interested in my show, then simply go to jonathangsmith.com forward slash faith in the city. That's jonathangsmith.com forward slash faith in the city. So listen, thanks for listening to that podcast. And hey, if you do listen to it, hey, let me know and let me know if it's blessed you. Thanks so much.
connecting deep truth for everyday life. This is Theology on the Street. So today on Theology on the Street, we're going to be talking about God's kindness and judgment. Wow, that sounds kind of um that sounds kind of like how do you put those two together, God's kindness and God's judgment? And um, listen, when we are talking about the issue of cultural mandate, when we are talking about the issue of bringing the gospel to our neighbors and bringing the gospel to our friends, you know, one of the things that we sometimes forget is we forget that um, we are representing God by the way that we behave and we act. And I think that that's I think that that is perhaps one of the most difficult, if not the most important things to remember in all of the things that we do and all of the the uh, relationships that we have. That is, is that the only God people are going to see in their lives is going to be in you. Now, if you screw it up, don't worry. God's bigger than you. And so he can find it in somebody else. But what you will actually miss out on is you will miss out on the blessing that is available to you when you are actually trying to work this out. Now, let me just give you something that's really critical here. You don't just get uh, an out of, or I get out of a representative God card free. You can't take the posture that says, you know what? Hey, I don't care if I behave a certain way and I blew it and then, uh, you know, God can just use somebody else. And I'm just going to sort of, you know, pacify me. Listen, if you take that posture, I'm warning you right now that you're heading down a road that's not going to be good for your own spiritual well-being. Because what you're doing actually is that you're ignoring God's word and you are ignoring uh, the scriptures. You're, that is, you're ignoring God's commands, which basically tell us, hey, you're a representative of God. That's what it means to be made in the image of God, going all the way back to Genesis chapter one and two. So today we're talking about Romans two, one through four, and we're talking about it in the context of a cultural war. And, you know, I was raised a very good evangelical. Let me just say that right up front. I was definitely raised a very good evangelical. And early in the 2000s, particularly around 2000, 2001, when the cultural war was still waving its flag, you know, I was definitely a right winger. I mean, I was a right, right winger. I mean, I had no heart. In fact, there's a a saying that actually goes like this, that if you're in your 20s, and you're a conservative, then you have no heart. In other words, when you're in your 20s, you pretty much, you know, are are liberal in, in whatever. And, and that's probably true to some extent. I mean, when we're in 20s, we're in our 20s, you know, we're obviously idealistic about the world. We're idealistic about change. Um, we're idealistic about our abilities to affect change in the world and institutions. And so we're also naturally drawn to leaders who express those kinds of ideas. And because I came out of this fundamentalist background, I was very much attracted to those outspoken, charismatic individuals that talked about cultural change, that talked about, you know, reclaiming our country, all of those things. And I'm no longer there. I just got to tell you right now, I'm so not there. I I don't even want to be there. I'm even almost embarrassed and ashamed. But that's my story. I'm definitely a recovering right winger. But... One of the effects of the cultural war, one of the problems that came out of the cultural war, particularly in the 80s and the 90s, is that the message was communicated that God hates gay people. 
And we did, that is Christians, we did a fantastic job of communicating Romans 1. And that's what we did. In fact, so much of uh, so much scholarship and biblical studies, when you go back and you begin to peel back um, what scholars have said about Romans chapter 1, and, and what I'm talking about there, if you're not familiar, is where... Um, Paul talks about how people exchanged the image of the immortal God for the image of man, and therefore God gave them over to their lust, and women exchanged their natural relations uh, for uh, other women, and men exchanged their natural desires and, and for men, etc. I'm, I'm doing a very bad job, obviously, of summarizing it. But the idea is, is that uh, homosexuality right there is condemned by God. It's associated with false worship, etc., etc., etc. And so... Um, those passages were used extensively by uh, right-winger evangelicals to beat people up and uh, to kill people and, and, and kill people in the sense of, of their souls. I mean, it was awful. And, it, you know, we've, we, I think what has happened is that we are now experiencing the repercussions of all of that because the church did not do a good job of understanding that passage uh, in its fullest intent. And it didn't do a good job of communicating what Paul was trying to do. It just started cherry-picking verses out of the text, taking the text out of its context. What ended up happening was that a message was sent that the gospel is for everybody except for you. The gospel's for everybody except for you because you're gay and therefore God hates you. And that's what happened. And in fact, there are those churches out there that, um, you know, Westboro Baptist Church, they talk about that. I mean, you know, they had a website, a horrible website. I'm not even going to tell you what the website is, but it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And it, it does not at all truly reflect the heart of God. And so we're talking today about God's kindness as well as God's judgment. And really, and I've said this before, and I want to say it again, the thrust of Romans 1 and Romans 2 is that Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to Christians, and he's basically saying that the entire world is screwed up. Everything is screwed up. All of us are under condemnation for everything in the world that we've done and that there's this massive massive problem in the world and and that's the whole point he's trying to talk to everybody and he brings everybody in but what happens is is that we we stop at Romans 1 and then we'll jump over to Romans 3 or then we'll go to Romans 8 or whatever and we just bypass Romans 2 1 through 4 actually I'm going to read to you 1 through 5 today so let me just read this to you and we're going to unpack this a little bit and uh, and try to understand what Paul is actually saying. So here it is. Romans 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. Ouch. Hey, Paul, um, you know, does that mean I can't judge people? Uh, I'm afraid it does. He goes on to say, for in passing judgment... On another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Let me just say that again. Therefore, therefore, you have no excuse, O oh man, 
every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you the judge practice the very same things what is the very same things all of the moral failures that are listed in romans 1 and i think that what paul is doing here is is very clever but it's also very very important paul is looking at all of humanity here he's looking at the entire world and he's basically looking at all of humanity and he's saying that there's something massively wrong in human beings i mean you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that people are screwed up and that screwed upness i mean according to paul that's normal and it's part of and it's a result of the fallen world And the problem is, though, is that for those of us who've experienced God's grace or we call ourselves Christians, what we end up doing is that we start categorizing sin and we and we actually put it on a hierarchy. And so, okay, if you have this sin, well, you're covered by God's grace and therefore you're okay. But this one over here, uh, 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 because the Bible really condemns that. And Paul is saying here, hey, if you judge another person, that you're actually judging and condemning yourself. That's a scary thing, isn't it? Because the truth of the matter is, is that we don't think about that when we are passing judgment on other people. What we do is we pull out our, you know, Pharisee lenses and we put those on and we say, ooh, look at you, look at you, uh-uh, shame on you. And Paul actually says, that's not a good thing. So I'm going to give you a confession. Let me just just put this out there. When my wife and I first got together, we were living together before we got married. Yeah, that's what happened. And um, we were young and impulsive, and we loved each other, and we felt free to redefine rules, etc. This is before... I really gave my life over to Christ and et cetera, even though I was in the church and all this stuff. And and I'll never forget how uh, I was approached by a gentleman. And I'm not going to say who it is uh, because he and I are, are in, in contact with each other today. But I'll never forget because he was so harsh in his criticisms. He was so harsh and he, he just came across as so condemning and hateful and, and I just remember, hey, judge not lest ye be judged. That was the verse that I was like throwing back at him. And if I had known this verse, I might have just come back at him right that. Now, the truth of the matter is I was unrepentant. The fact of the matter is, is that I was screwed up. I had a million things going on. That was probably the least of my problems. But when you were in the South, in a small town, and you were doing something like that, you were automatically going to get judged. And I got judged harshly, harshly. And I'm just telling you, it hurt. It really hurt badly. So Paul goes on, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? In other words, it's almost like this, that if I go around and I condemn other people's sin, and point out all of their problems that somehow I'm doing God a favor. And Paul's, he's calling you out right on this. He's calling you right out and he's saying, hey, are you, is this what you're thinking? You're thinking that just because you come down on this person and you inspect their problems that somehow God's uh, gonna overlook yours? And so then it goes on. Or do you presume 
on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Now look at that. Let's look at number four, because this is critical. Or do you presume on the riches of kindness and forbearance and patience? In other words, you presuming that you're going to be okay, but not the other people. Going on and saying, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Notice that emphasis on God's kindness. God's kindness is designed to lead you to repentance, not God's judgment. It's God's kindness that says, hey, you're in a broken place, whatever it is, whether it's your sexual identity, your sexuality, um, you know, your moral choices, whatever it is, it's God's kindness that brings you to faith in him, to repentance. Repentance means turning your life around and moving into a different direction. But, verse 5, but because of your hard and impenitent heart. Now notice that. Notice that the whole context of this, of these four verses that precede verse 5, the, the whole context of these first of these first uh, or these four verses, it's all based on a person casting judgment on another person. Instead of representing God's kindness and bringing God's compassion and mercy and love and bringing bringing that person the good news of Jesus Christ, instead, you're bringing condemnation, you're bringing hate, you're bringing negativity. But you're presuming yourself that you're okay because you're good and you're just presuming God's kindness and richness and forbearance. What he says in verse 5 should wake up every single evangelical on the planet. Are you ready? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, because you are being a judgmental person, that in itself is a sin. That's what he's saying here. You're a sinner because you're just throwing out all of these judgmental statements. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. In other words, what I see here happening in Romans 2, 1 through 4, and then how he responds in verse 5, is that part of our unregenerate hearts, that part of our sinful nature, actually results in judging other people and condemning them and discriminating them and showing partiality against them and doing all the hateful things that sometimes we think that we are actually doing it because we're motivated to represent God. In other words, I need to represent God. I need to tell you that God's upset with you. Really? And, you know, and think, I think about that church. I think about that church that's, you know, so famous for its incredible vitriol and hatred against the LGBT plus community. I think about that church and I think about what they say. I think about how they go about it. And I can't help but think about them and say, you know, they think that they are actually being loyal to the Bible. This very same Bible that I read. And I'm assuming that they read these verses and I'm assuming that they have some kind of justification and some kind of interpretation for these verses. But the question that I really have is that if you are communicating a hateful and vengeful God, then how are you doing any justification to what scripture actually teaches? And I think that this is a really, really important 
important text just to chew on. And, and I obviously haven't done it complete justice here because there's so much here that uh, we could spend a good hour just on this uh, particular topic. But I think it's critical for us because what what we're going to do is we're trying to see whether or not that we have approached this issue as, you know, conservative, Bible-believing, biblically orthodox evangelicals. Have we had the right attitude? Have we had the right posture? Or have we represented God in an entirely foreign way than to what he has actually represented in the Bible? Now, that's a very powerful thought, and it's a very powerful thing to ask, because sometimes we presuppose that we are standing on firm biblical ground. But so often what I see, and this happens so often, I mean, I just, it, it, well, let me just tell you what we do. We take scriptures out, and we pull them out, and then we uh, create these wonderful theologies, and then we say, well, it's all of these theologies, and look, it's all these verses that I have to back it up. But when you actually get into the context of these verses and begin to unpack the broader message of which these texts are in, what you walk away with very often is a slightly different picture and that you've actually left the scriptures a long time ago and you know i you know i'm not i'm not i'm not getting into the ethical or the moral issues here of homosexual behavior and all of that i'm not doing that here and that's not the purpose of this the purpose here today is just simply to confront whether or not we as a church particularly biblically orthodox evangelicals if we have approached this with the right mindset or have we just really taken all of our biases and fears and angers and resentments and all the other things from our Western culture and just sort of taken them and absorbed them into the way that we read scripture and then communicating that back out? That's what happens. We read the Bible in the context of our culture. We read the Bible in the context of our own value system, and that very often that what happens is that our value system, even though we think it's Christian, it's really not, is cultural. And if you are raised in a fundamentalist background like I have been, then you're, it takes a while to dissect those things out, and you really have to begin to uh, figure out what it is that, I, that the, 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 the scripture is actually saying. And so I think it's important just to stop for a moment because that or or this idea of God's kindness, of representing God's kindness, that it's through God's kindness, that his forbearance, his patience, his love that brings people to repentance. That is a very powerful and biblical model. And sometimes I just feel like we're missing out on that particular piece. Does that mean that we go and, and, you know, well, let me rephrase that. Does that mean that we are are to compromise and to uh, uh, wipe things away? No, it's not about changing our belief systems. It's about confronting our attitudes it's about confronting the way we've approached different topics. It's it's about the way that we represent God and particularly Jesus Christ here on planet Earth. And I just have to tell you that, you know, brothers and sisters, it's not easy. It's just simply not easy. And so keep that in mind because what we want to understand ultimately is that when we're bringing good news, that is when we're bringing the liberating power of Jesus Christ, that that applies equally to everyone. And that is is that we are 
all fallen and broken creatures, all in different ways, all in different um, aspects of our lives. But we're all equal at the foot of the cross. And we need to remember that in the way that we talk, in the way that we communicate, even in the, the jokes that we say, even the things that are entirely inappropriate. We need to remember that because we're representing God's kindness. That's our job. Our job as Christians is to represent kindness and generosity and love and grace because those are the very things that God has given us. And I think that that's a very powerful reminder for us to walk slowly and humbly before our God. And now for Smitty's Life Hack Tip of the Week. And this week I am talking about a life hack that is really not a tool. It's not a piece of software. It's not an app. The things that I love to talk about. It's not a journal. It's actually something that resides in all of us. Although I would say that it perhaps is given in different measures. And that, my friends, is the power of perseverance. You know, I would tell you that it is so easy to quit things. It is so easy to say, ah, I'm sort of experiencing some uh, some pressure. I'm uh, experiencing some setbacks. I'm experiencing some things where I've just decided to give up. I tried. I tried to minister to so-and-so, but it just didn't work out. Or I tried to go to that church for, you know, one week, and I just didn't really like it. And uh, the pastor didn't make me feel good about myself or whatever it was. No, listen. The most important thing that I've learned in life is the power of perseverance, or another way of saying it is the power of persistence, of persistently and of persistently persevering through whatever project or goals that you've set for yourself. Now, I I have learned this lesson in a pretty sweet way this year. You know that I'm actually coming up here at the end of the year. We only have, today is December 15th when I'm recording this, so we only have 16 days left in the 2016 uh, year. I didn't plan it that way, 16 and 16. That's pretty cool. Anyways, uh, we only have 16 days left, and um, I'm super excited. You know, here's why. Because this is the first year where I can honestly tell you that at the beginning of the year, I set some goals And at the end of the year, well, I'm pretty much going to hit every one of them. I am stoked about that fact. And in fact, I'm not going to go into all of that today because I'm going to do a special podcast episode uh, at the end of the year where I'm talking about all of those. But what I have discovered this year was the power of persistence and perseverance, moving through, keeping focused on those goals uh, week after week, month after month, going all the way through the year. And let me just tell you what one of the results is because I'm proud and I'm excited and um, it's been a big game changer for me. And you know what that is? It's actually talking with you. It is uh, sitting down behind this microphone each week and determining to bring you a podcast episode. You know, I had actually said at the beginning of the year that I wanted to bring 40 podcast episodes to you, the listener, this year. 40 podcast episodes. And I looked at my calendar Uh, at the uh, the beginning of the year, and then I began to uh, plan to launch the podcast 
went through all of the different things that I uh, was hoping to do. And what I discovered was um, that I wasn't going to hit my goal, actually. And because you're saying, hey, this is episode 33. There's only two weeks left in the year. How is it possible that you're going to hit 40 podcast episodes? Well, I'm launching my Faith in the City podcast, and I already have five episodes on that ready to go. And so I will actually cumulatively, between Grace on Fire in the City and Faith in the City, all these podcasts that I've been trying to do this year, I will hit 40 episodes. And I'm really, I'm, I'm just really excited about that. Um, and what it's done for me is it's really created momentum going into 2017. And the only way that I would have been able to do this is if I just sat down and I said, you know what, I'm just, I just got to do this. I've just got to persevere. And the truth of the matter is, is that it's difficult to persevere. And there's going to be times when you're going to fail. There's going to be times when you're going to succeed. Even in this year, uh, over the summertime, the reason why this is in episode 38 or 39 was because I had to take a five-week hiatus from everything that I was doing in order to take care of my kids. But what I discovered through all of that um, was that, hey, I really miss podcasting. I want to get back to this. But because of God's grace and because of some creativity and really just because uh, this medium is expanding for me and how I believe that it's going to change some things in my life, I have been able to reach that goal. And so perseverance, persistence, those are powerful, powerful tools. Look at the things in your life and to see where you have dropped the ball and where you can pick up the power of perseverance in your life. And now it's time for our feature presentation. And that brings me to my feature presentation. And I'm talking about Pulse Orlando and the memorial that I did and just really the the week of ministry that I've been involved with. And so, you know, here it is. Here it is. Um, on Monday, I made uh, some plans and the plans that I made was I said, you know what? On Monday, there's going to be tons of things that are going to be happening, but I'm going to have a noonday service and I want to do a prayer visual uh, down at the memorial and I want it to be just a small, small event. I'm not there to to make a big media splash or to do anything like that. I just want to bring a group of people over there to pray for the families and the victims um, or the or the vic- or the families um, and that were left behind, really, and as well as for those who still are struggling, um, that were victims of the of the shoot of the of the shooting and are still trying to recover their lives. Believe it or not, there are still people and stories of uh, young men and women, beautiful people really, who are going through physical rehabilitation um, because they were shot multiple times, but they survived. I mean, the survivor stories themselves are incredible. And um, so I, I had just made up on my mind and I partnered with Bill Henson over at Lead Them Home Ministries and um, we got together and we said, okay, let's do a prayer vigil. And Bill had a lot of things that he was going to do that day. And it was, it, was, it was amazing to watch him move. But 
for Redeemer Anglican Church and for me as a pastor, I said that one of the things that I can do is I can do a memorial service. And so that's what we did. And so um, on the day of the memorial service, this is what happened. I knew that I was going to have a, a small group. We ended up having about 15 people show up to this, which was exciting. And, um, you know, it was there was there was people there that were walking around and paying respects and uh, remembering those who that whom they lost. Um, but there was also somebody else there. And guess who showed up? It was the news media. That's right. There must have been four or five different um, news channels there, TV news stations that were there to pick up stories about uh, Pulse Orlando and Pulse Memorial. And um, I, I, I just, I can't tell you, I completely freaked out. <laughs> So I drove around and I saw all of those things and I said, oh my gosh, this is a very awkward situation and a situation that I've never been in. Um, I've never been interviewed by the news media and uh, although they were all, you know, young uh, news people and it ended up being a lot of fun, but um, I'd never been interviewed before and there was cameras all around and all I knew was that I brought my uh, my bell, my Sanctus bell, a stole and 15 people, some liturgies and we were going to have a prayer vigil. And guess what? Yes, that prayer vigil was featured on different news channels. I had cameras buzzing around, they were taking pictures. Um, I was mic'd, I have no idea uh, what they ended up, uh, what some of the news, sta- uh, news channels actually recorded. But I had a liturgy and I just went through the liturgy and what we did was we read the names of each victim and then we rang a bell uh, to remember their lives, and then we placed a rose on the wall that surrounds the uh, that surrounds the Pulse building, and it was a it was um you know it was really uh, a touching service. I mean, all in all, it was a very powerful service. It lasted probably about thirty five to forty minutes, and you know when you do something like that as a pastor, and and you you go into a situation like that, you you have no idea how people are going to respond. And so I just prayed. I mean, I just prayed. I prayed like I've never prayed before. I felt just this overwhelming sense of pressure and just burden for the whole situation because the one thing that I did not want to have happen, and this I have to say, the one thing I didn't want to have happen was I didn't want this turn this into a big circus. And I also didn't want to get into a situation where I was being interpreted as being hateful, etc. And so um, I was there just as a pastor and uh, to, to offer prayers for the families and the victims that were the survivors. And so we read out the names and we rang a bell and um, and then we had our prayers that we read. By the way, this is one of the things that I love about being an Anglican, uh, because you can do things like this. And so it, it's being an Anglican minister has so many advantages to it because we can do, one thing I love about Anglicans is we can do services well, particularly memorial services. And I tried to bring as much um, formality into this as possible because I really wanted it to be special and I really wanted it to be a time where we took seriously prayer, but we also took seriously just the the gravity of what happened. What happened at the Pulse, uh, Pulse Orlando nightclub on June 12th was nothing short of a terrorist 
attack. It was nothing uh, short of a trauma. It was nothing short of a tragedy. It was nothing short of an awful event that has shifted and changed our community. And I can't tell you if it's the better or worse because it's still too early in the year to even really think about it. I think it's going to take a couple of years before we realize the full extent of that. But here's the thing about that. If the church doesn't do anything but just sits back and recesses and does not speak about the love of God for all people, then we have missed out completely. And so being a pastor of a very small church in the center part of Orlando, you know, I don't have the resources or the platform that some of the bigger churches and ministries have. But I said to myself, you know, I am small and I can use that as an advantage and I can go down there and take a few people with me and I can offer a small memorial service. And that's what I did. And, you know, I think it really ministered to the people that participated in it. And I think that that was really exciting. You know, one thing that I, I have to say just regarding the news media, um, I, I said uh, a lot. And in fact, my uh, interview was featured on a news, uh, news channel down in Miami. I know because I had friends call me up and said, hey, we saw you on TV. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but what I actually said uh, was totally lifted out of context. And so um, I, I, I'm not going to be so nervous next time about news media because I realize that they're basically going to take whatever you say and they're going to clip it and chop it up and uh, change the narrative and make it say whatever you want to say. And that's fine. That, that's what their job is. I thank them for being there and uh, for trying to tell the story. Um, but I got I have to tell you, if you did see that, um, that's not everything that I said. I've, I said a whole lot more than than what was featured, but that's part of it. You know, we're all learning. And that's the whole point of this this episode. We are, we are learning how to do mission because we have failed to do it correctly. Let me just say that again. The reason why I'm even doing this episode and focusing on this is because as a biblically orthodox church as evangelicals we don't know what we're doing and we keep stay, saying stupid things and we keep doing things that communicates the wrath of god rather than the love of god i think we have to remind ourselves constantly over and over and over again the wrath of god was poured out upon jesus christ and for anyone who believes in jesus christ as their Lord and Savior, is free from the wrath of God. Now, we can, we can talk about the Christian life and spiritual formation and all of those things that naturally um, flow out of that, and, and, and that's important. But we, but we sometimes forget that our job is not to represent the wrath of God. As I said in our theology, we are to represent the kindness of God. And that actually is what brings me to this particular uh, uh, this particular point, because I think that what has happened in, in I would just say that this has just happened in um, well, it, it's just kind of happened in our culture. That is, is that we because evangelicals have been so brought up in the cultural war mindset, um, we really don't have a model that we can use and show on how to do ministry effectively. We really don't have a model. Our model is actually apologetic. That is defending what we believe. 
But how do we actually move from defense to mission? You thought I was going to say offense. No, because I'll tell you why. I was thinking about this episode and I was thinking that if we use the word offense, well, we've been plenty uh, offensive, I think. The whole point here is not to be on offense. That is going out and changing everybody. You can't change anybody. I can't change anybody. That's not the whole point here. The point is to represent God's kindness and introduce people to the gospel, a gospel that everyone needs regardless of their race or their sexual identity. And if we can't agree on that, if we can't come to grips with that, then we really need to go back to our Bibles and begin to do more exegetical work because I have a feeling that we are missing the point. And so that was the point of the prayer vigil. That was my way of bringing justice into um, uh, or, or, or doing biblical justice and bringing biblical justice into that particular uh, setting on December 12th. And I'm, I'm sure the, that there were other churches that did things. I don't know. But I do know that uh, at noon at the memorial, we were the only ones there. And that was exciting to me. That was exciting for me to be a leader and to bring that. And that actually brings me to my second point, because the next day, what we did at Redeemer is that we invited Bill Henson uh, and we we invited Bill to do what he calls his posture shift seminar. Now, if you remember, I interviewed Bill on episode 20 on episode 27. You can go to jonathangsmith.com forward slash G-O-F 27. And you can uh, listen to that episode, and I highly recommend that you listen to his message because it's critical and it's crucial for us. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to bring my lay leaders uh, that my church and also other area friends and church pastors, uh, we had a pastor come up from South Florida to listen to this. And the whole point of this was how do we shift from this apologetic uh, approach that we've had to a missiological approach? And like I said earlier, the, the reason why we need to do this is because we just keep screwing up and we use offensive language. Um, we, you know, we disown our loved ones or we banish them from our families. I mean, we've done everything wrong. The only thing that we've done right, in my whole opinion, is is perhaps just maintain to, to biblical orthodoxy. And I do think that that is a line that we hold. But how we have communicated all of this, how we've understood the nature of the problem, how we've even understood the nature of the debate, we have completely blown it, people. We've completely blown it. And so Bill, in my opinion, is one of the leading uh, thought leaders or cutting edge thought leaders in this particular field of, of ministry. And so what Bill's basic message is, and, and by the way, I am... I am uh, diluting down or distilling down um, hours and hours and hours of training that he has into a very bite-sized segment. But he offers something that's called posture shift. And what posture shift really is, it, it is designed to train church folks like you and me on how to think like, uh, like missionaries. Um, let me just read something to you that... Bill wrote, and I think it's fantastic. Missionaries are not shocked by people. They seek to listen and learn, not just teach and tell. 
They understand that the ultimate missional goal is proximity of the gospel to people. Did you notice that word proximity? That's key. Over long periods, they earn trust in order to share Christ. In some contexts, they may live among people unable to overtly share the gospel except in highly trusted situations that develop over many years. Missionaries see people as valuable individuals, but they also see individuals as members of people groups that are classified as unreached, underreached, or in varying degrees, reached. Contextualizing the gospel to every people group in the world fulfills the Great Commission. The U.S. Center for World Missions classifies the LGBT plus community as an underreached people group. They should be already reached because they live among us in highly Christianized nation as our family, friends, neighbors, and co-workers. Instead, the LGBT plus community is considered underreached. To be more accurate, this community is misreached, often due to being mistreated. And I think that that is the crux of the matter right there. And that is, is that the reason why so many folks retreat and run to the LGBT plus community, it's because they have been mistreated in their churches and by their families and by their friends. Bill has all kinds of tragic stories that uh, he can share with people being abused and people being mistreated because they came out of the closet and they had the uh, courage to say, hey, I, I think I'm gay. And I have to tell you that when you begin to hear those stories, if your heart is not wrenched, if it's not torn in two over the abuse and the mistreatment, then I, I, I really want to question your soul for just a moment. Because part of the gospel, part of understanding the ministry of Jesus Christ, part of what he did was that he went and he brought healing to the brokenhearted. When you look at the nature of Jesus' ministry, he continued to reach out to people that were completely broken and ostracized by the religious community. In fact, he went to places and people that, frankly, were ignored and often ridiculed by the religious people. That doesn't mean that Jesus didn't go to the religious people themselves because, in fact, if you read through the Gospels, there's a number of religious folks that actually responded to Jesus and his Gospel message. But there is no doubt that when you look at groups like tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and others, those who were so desperate for the Gospel, Jesus had a heart of compassion that broke through all of those barriers. And I think that that's why when we talk about mistreatment, when we talk about the abuses, when we understand that these things happen, that it should begin to shift in your mind the way that you think about doing ministry and approaching people that describe themselves as being gay, lesbian, transgendered, or whatever. You see, I think that what I've taken away from this week and, and honestly, this is this has been my take. What I've really done is I'm just trying to scratch the surface here. 
I recognize that there's deep, deep fissures of woundedness. There are deep, deep issues that have to be worked through and worked out. And they're going to be worked out in the context of the local church, not on podcasts and and not on other mediums. They're going to be worked out in the context of the local church. But isn't that the whole issue? Isn't that what we're really trying to do? Is we're trying to reshape the local church to become the communities that are safe places for people to come and to come to Christ. And beloved, that's the goal. That's ultimately the goal. We want to bring Christ and to bring his power into people's lives and allow the Holy Spirit to do that work of reconciliation in people's hearts. The only thing that you can do And the only thing you should do is to show the loving kindness and compassion and God's mercy to people's lives. And beloved, if we could just do that, then I think we could change the world. And that brings me to the end of this particular podcast episode. Hey, listen, if you enjoyed this, please go onto iTunes and give us a rating. And now, beloved, may the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and the grace of Jesus Christ be with you now and always. Amen. Thank you for listening to Grace on Fire, a Verve creative production. For show notes, updates, and more, visit jonathangsmith.com slash graceonfire.